Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Uh, turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, we continue our series. Uh, this week, we'll actually wrap it up next Sunday, and then we'll get into, uh, head into the Easter season. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verse 14 through 17 this morning. Again, last week we talked about um, uh, verse 14 and 15, about the power of prayer and how God gives us a promise that he answers prayer. And, uh, and so that's where we're at. Let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing upon her this morning. Father, thank you for giving us once again an opportunity to continue to worship you through the study of your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, God, and we look at the, uh, the promises that you give to us, that you, uh, you tell us that if we pray anything according to your will, that you hear us. And Lord, your word says that if we know that you hear us, we have the request given to us that we have made before you. And Lord, this morning as we talk about loved ones and friends and people who are caught up uh, in a life of sin, uh, we know that, God, you're calling us to not judge, not condemn, but, Lord, to demonstrate love in action through praying over their lives, God, and praying for them. And, Father, this morning, would you... Uh, put people on our hearts, God, today. And Lord, would you use us in our prayers, God, to bring about change and life for our loved ones and friends today. Lord, we thank you for our time now. Bless and speak to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, the last three weeks we've been looking at uh, chapter 5. And, and really, John lets us know things that we can know for sure. Really, what we know. Uh, he told us in chapter 5 that Jesus is God. He told us in chapter 5 and verse 13 that we have eternal life through a relationship with Jesus. Last Sunday, verse 14 and 15, we learned that God answers prayer. Assurance is a major kind of theme of this letter. It's a five-chapter letter that John wrote to a group of confused Christians who had heard some different, uh, you know, some different things about Jesus and some different things about the Christian life that weren't accurate. So John says, I want you to know some certain things. They're really to know truth about who Jesus is, that's what we believe, but also truth about the Christian life, like how we behave, that Jesus changes lives. Throughout the letter, John gives some criteria to help them discern who is the real deal, who is a person who truly is a follower of Jesus. And really, this whole letter is about fellowship. It's about a relationship with God, that you and I would have eternal life, that, that uh, not only the hope of heaven one day, but actually to have a relationship with God, fellowship with God is a major theme that John writes about. And that's what he's talking about in prayer, that you and I have access now into God's presence and we can go before him and present our request to him because now we're in a relationship with him. Again, verse 14 and 15, read with me this morning. John says, and we know that, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. What a great promise that you and I have access into God's presence. We have confidence that we can ask. We have confidence that he hears. And we also have confidence that if it's according to his will, in his timing, that prayer is going to come back affirmative. That God is going to answer that prayer. God answers. A verse I shared last Sunday, Hebrews 4, 16, is a great reminder. 
The author says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We talked last Sunday about there are some things that hinder prayer. One being it's not God's will. So you ask for something over and over and over and God says, no, that's not my plan or my purpose for your life. Uh, Other things that hinder answered prayer is faith. John says, we know that if we ask. And so you've got to come before God and actually believe that God does want to answer prayer. We read in in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, that if you believe, you can ask whatever you want, again, according to God's will, and you have the request that you have asked. Uh, We also talked last Sunday about living in direct rebellion to God. That's a hindrance to God's prayer, not because he's punishing us, but he loves us. And if we continue in that rebellion uh, before God, it actually becomes a, a, a destructive pattern in our own life. David says in Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear my prayer. So it's that idea of I'm holding on to something, I'm living in rebellion. Uh, we talked last Sunday, 1 Peter 3. Peter tells us that if you have a, an off relationship with your wife, husbands, your prayers are hindered. So if you have a buddy that doesn't treat his wife well, don't ask him for prayer. That's what Peter is saying. Or better yet, tell him to make things right and then pray for you. If you have an issue with another person, Jesus tells us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, that there you are at the altar and you're giving, you're presenting your gift, your worship, and you remember that someone has something against you, you got a little odd situation, leave your gift, go make things right, then come back and worship God. That's what he says. And, and then not abiding in him. John 15 tells us that. Not abiding in him and his word. Uh, that's a, a way that will hinder our prayers. Why? Because it's from his word that we gain an understanding of what his will is for our lives. What sort of things he wants to do in our lives. So he says, ask, make your request. And now John tells us to pray something else that is God's will. And it's in verse 16 and 17. As he continues this theme of God answers prayers, things that we would know, he says in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, We'll unpack that in a second. He shall ask, and God will give that person life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. That is kind of a crazy little section of Scripture, isn't it? Like, man, somebody's going to die today. That's not what, that's not what we're talking about. Well, I hope everyone stays good in here because that would be like, Wow, that's what Gordon was talking about just now. That won't happen. Here's what John says. You've prayed about things for your own life. Now, here's what God's will is in prayer. The rescue of a person who's caught up in sin. Someone who's wandered off, a believer, who's wandered off, and they're ensnared. They're sort of stuck. God answers prayers. Our needs get met. But John says, how about the needs of other people? Now, we all sin, and John already gives us this great promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. See, that's, we're, in a, we're in a relationship with God. We have fellowship with God. He says we walk in the light. And you and I, we sin on a daily basis, and in those moments, we recognize it, and we say, God, you know what? I want you to forgive me for that thought, that action, those words, whatever it was. You may have to ask forgiveness from your spouse, your children, your parents, your your friends, your teacher, your coach, but we're in this relationship with God. But every so often, what, jo- what John's talking about here is that you sort of get stuck. 
and you get in that spot where you're actually like in rebellion now, I'm actually not listening, God. I'm not going to actually let go of this particular sin. And that's what John is talking about here. There's a time when a Christian gets stuck in a sin pattern. How many of you guys ever whitewater rafted before? I went whitewater rafting like, I don't know, let's see, 24 years ago. I went uh, on the American River, actually with Jason, our youth director, his dad. And I remember it was like a heavy rain year. We were on the American River. Uh, and, um, and we were, you know, we went down this, uh, the, I think it was called tunnel chute. It's like super scary little section of water, you know. I mean, most of it's just like you're paddling, you're splashing your friends and stuff like that. And then there's this section like, okay, hold up. This is like a five-plus class rapid or something like that. I was a new dad. I'm like, this is not how I want to go. But anyways, we had youth kids in there. I had to be strong. So we get in the boat. We go down. The picture was insane. You know, there's people taking pictures of you. When we get to the very end, we're sort of waiting for everybody else. And there's this thing where the water sort of goes upstream, and it's called an eddy. And I was sitting on the edge feeling all brave, and all of a sudden, it was just like a demon from the pit of hell reached up and pulled me underwater. I'm like, Oh, I made it through the tunnel chute, but here I'm going to die right now. And it was just, and, you know, they pulled me back in. I'm super scared and cold, trying not to, you know, show my fear. And then it kept happening. I'm like, can we just go down this river right now? Because it just kept happening. And that's sort of is what happens in a person's life. Like, they just get stuck. Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 6. We read about it in James chapter 5. There's a time when a Christian gets stuck. And John gives us the identity of this person. He's a brother. He's a sister. Or she's a sister. There we go. They're a Christian. They're a part of the family of God. And that's why he identifies them as such. John says, let's move from praying for ourselves petitions for the things that we need. And let's move to intercession. What a powerful way to see this relationship that we have with God. That in some mysterious way, God wants to use you and me when we see a situation arising or happening to a, a person that we care about that's a brother or sister in Christ. He says, I want to use your prayers that are according to my will to give that person life. He says, you ask and God will give that person life. That may be the most loving thing that you and I could do for a person. John talks about love a lot in this, in this five-chapter letter because Jesus talked about love a lot. He says to the disciples, love one another as I have loved you. And he says, by this, this love relationship, how we care for each other, how we minister to one another, he says, by this action, people will know that you are mine, the way a church loves each other. And that's through actions, as he told us in chapter 3, when you see a physical need in a brother or sister. Don't tell them, you know, like, hey, I'll, you know, I uh, hope everything works out. He says, let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. Actions. We see physical need, we should meet that physical need. But now, it's a spiritual need. He says, you ought to move with compassion as well and meet that need. Paul tells us this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if a believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. James tells us in chapter 5, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, 
can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. I believe that John is letting us know that prayer and interceding is sort of the first step in a person coming back and being restored. In a person actually who is wandering and being brought back into this relationship with God. This is why we need to be connected as a, as a local church. You know, there's a lot of people that would say things like, well, I don't really need to go to church to be connected to God. I can read my Bible. I can worship God on the hills, you know, uh, skiing and stuff like that. Boy, I feel God more up there. You know, well, I would, I would disagree with you that you do need to, according to the New Testament, be connected to a group of local Christians. But let's just give you that. Let's just say that you can stay connected to God. What about what you actually need to give to a local church? How do you see your brother or sister caught in some sin unless you're actually in proximity to their life? See, being a part of the church isn't just about like what you receive, like, you know, oh, wow, I got so much out of worship today, and gee, the message was, hey, okay. But it's not about that. It's about what you give. It's about how your life actually can also change another person's life. It's not just this personal relationship we have with God, although that's accurate. It's not an individual one. We're the family of God. And so John says when you see somebody in that spot, their need, you go and you reach out. True love for our brothers and sisters, it shows up in how we care for their spiritual condition. Now John says, that, and this is kind of the, kind of the little like, part that gets a little strange for us. John says that there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. My first thought is, what's the sin that leads to death? Are you with me? Because you're like, I want to make sure I avoid that one, right? Or is it just me that has that thought? You're like, no, please tell us. Well, here's the good news and bad news. We have no idea what it is. However, we can make some assumptions. A lot of people think that John is referring to the unforgivable, the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin, the, the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. Uh, or or in, as uh, we read in John chapter 8, uh, the rejection of truth, as Jesus talks about in John 8 verse 24. But that can only happen to an unbeliever. What, what that, that sin, the unforgivable sin, is a person who continues to reject the witness of the Holy Spirit in their life about the testimony of Jesus and his offer of eternal life, his offer of salvation. And they keep stiff-arming and keep stiff-arming God, and they continue to reject, and their heart becomes like cemented with that, I'm done, I don't believe, and that's the sin that's unforgivable. But John says this is a brother, so a, a Christian cannot commit the unpardonable sin. When someone, uh, as a new Christian, they'll call me and say, hey man, like I think I might have committed that sin that's unforgivable. I'm like, the fact that you actually are concerned about it proves that you haven't committed it. Because if your heart's so hardened, you wouldn't care. So he's talking about something different. And what we believe is that he's talking about physical death. Like there is some sin not any one particular, but there is some position that a person gets in their life, a Christian, that God says, you know what, hold up, it's time for you to come home. And they actually die. We read about that in the Old Testament. 
uh, there was the, uh, the sin of Achan. He was, during the story of Joshua, when they went into Jericho, he flat out disobeyed God. He lost his life because of it. Uzzah, who is this uh, guy that was, you know, David said, like, I want the ark to come back to Jerusalem. And they, they, they were bringing it, completely disregarding what God's word said on how they carry this ark. How many of you guys seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark? And you're just like, man, don't open that lid. Things are going to go wrong. Well, Uzzah, this, that, you know, that was being carried on this cart, and this ox stumbled, and, and uh, the ark started wobbling, and Uzzah like, like, hold up, I got this, boom, dead. And everybody's just like, hey, you know what? I think my mom is calling me, David. I can't, you know. They part that ark. They're like, man, do not mess around with, like, holy things. We read about uh, Aaron's children in the Old Testament, Nadab and Abihu. And they, uh, it says that they bought, brought strange fire. They brought these offerings that God had said were off limits. And, uh, and they sort of took a position that wasn't theirs to take in offering these offerings before God. And they lost their lives. In the New Testament, we read about it as well. The church in Corinth. Paul says, the way you guys look at communion, the way you are selfish, and you know, they were showing up to what they called a love feast, and they were basically having like a home fellowship, and some people who were poor had no food, and those that had a lot would show up, and they would drink, and they would actually get to the point of drunkenness and not share their food, and Paul says, because of this, some of you are sick, and others have already died. Like, the way you guys treat each other in church, and people are dropping in Corinth, or in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, you know what their sin was? Hypocrisy. They came and they brought a gift so that they could distribute money to the poor, uh, the apostles, and, and, and they lied about how much they had earned off the sale of their property. And, and John had a front row seat to this. This ain't stuff we're making up. Like People flat out, if God says, you know what, you continue to persist as my child, right, you know what, you're going to be coming home. And that's out of love. That's a love correction. Now, however, let's also be careful to not think that every untimely death of a person is because that they were in this spot. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man, I wonder what they were doing. Dang, man, can't believe that happened to them. Like, if I die soon, don't think something is going wrong, okay? I don't want to die. I'm just saying that if it does happen, they'll go, man, Gordon, just talk about that. Let's not record this. Let's actually like, take the recording out today, just in case. Some sins have worse consequences. I think that's what John's letting us know. But instead of worrying about who the person is, where their sin might lead to death, or what the particular sin is, John says, let's talk about how God can use you in bringing life to a person who's actually caught in that sin. Let's focus on what can change a life. So first of all, John says, he tells us, when we see them in sin, we should what? Is it on the screen? It's coming. Oh, there we go. Look at that. We should pray for them. Not judge them, right? Not condemn them. But we should pray for them. Not talk about them. By the way, and not just do nothing, where someone wanders off. Oh, where's their, where's, what's his face? Oh, I don't know. He just sort of wandered back into the world. And do nothing. It's as if John is saying, you see somebody drowning and struggling to get a breath of air. And you and I are sitting on the, the, the banks of the river and we do nothing. 
Well, we're not judging them. We're not condemning them. John says, jump in the water through the avenue of prayer and allow God to actually rescue them before they actually get to that spot where it's over for them. Paul would say, move towards them with a spirit of humility and gentleness so that they could be restored. That's what happens after they recognize their sin and they repent and they turn. I think this is the precursor for that. We pray. John would suggest that through the power of prayer, that's when the change happens. We ought to focus on who we're to pray for. Who is it that's actually stuck and caught? You know, the night Jesus was arrested and betrayed, he told the disciples this. He said, guys, Satan has asked for you by name to sift you as wheat. I don't even want him to know my name. You know what I'm saying? But he says, but he's asked for you to sift you as wheat. And he looks at Peter and he says, and Peter, after you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Now this is after Peter and the whole gang said, like, Jesus, none of us are going to betray you. None of us are going to run away. Peter's like, even if I have to die tonight, I won't betray you. Peter denied Jesus three times that very night. And he certainly got sifted as wheat, as Jesus said. But Jesus says, but I prayed for you. Already I've been praying for you, Peter. And when you return, in answer to that prayer, go strengthen your brothers. What do we pray for? You notice that John says, ask for them. It's a word that means to plead, to ask with urgency. But what is it that we're asking? Have you ever wondered how to pray for somebody? What would be God's will? Well, one thing you could pray for is, Lord, open their eyes to see the reality of their mess. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who's sort of caught up in sin and, and you just go like, how do you not see this, man? Well, pray that God would open their eyes. Pray that God would speak to their hearts. Pray that God would convict their hearts. Pray that God would send loving believers in their direction to speak the truth in love. Again, as Paul mentioned, humility and gentleness. Lord, help them to turn to you and repent. I often pray, Lord, make them miserable until they recognize their, their sin. and recognize their Because guess what? Life is short. And one day, your opportunity to serve the Lord is over and gone. You notice that verse in the Bible that says, that, and the Lord will wipe away every tear when we get to heaven? Why would we be crying in heaven? You ever looked at a kid at Disneyland and said, like, what's your problem, man? <laughs> You're at Disneyland. You got a churro? You got, you got Matterhorns open again? Come on, right? Heaven? Why would we be crying in heaven? I wonder if it's over lost opportunity. You look back and you go, wow, what a wasted life. What a waste of time. That's why we say, Lord, rescue those people. They're no good for the kingdom of God when they're out there stuck and trapped and snared in sin. It's certainly destructive to them. It's destructive to the people around them. Lord, open their eyes. Wake them up. Make them miserable until they actually can see and turn to the Lord. I think of the prodigal son. It was all fun and games, right? You know, uh, when, when he got his dad's inheritance, he went to his dad and said, hey, Luke chapter 15, check it out later. He said, dad, in essence, I wish you were dead, because if you are dead, I'd have half my inheritance. His dad's like, listen, I'll liquidate. Go have fun, son. And he did. It says he went, and, and by the way, all kinds of new friends showed up. 
And they went and squandered all that money, and then they all left, and wild living and partying and prostitutes. And I mean, it's just like this, you know, uh, this, this kid's dream. And then he found himself in the state where he was lacking. You know what I mean? Just like empty and starving physically. And his eyes were open. He said, how many of the dudes that work for my dad have a hot meal on their plate tonight? And here I am working with pigs, and I'm wanting to eat their food. And then he said, aha, you know what I'll do? I'll go back to my father's house. I'll tell him I'm unworthy to be called your son because I've shamed you in such a way. Make me one of your hired servants, right? But he came to his senses. Lord, help him to come to their senses. You know what's so great in that story of the prodigal son is we see the father lifting up his robe and running towards his son and embracing his son and saying, man, break out the barbecued steak for my son that was lost is now found. You see, that's the heart of God. It's crazy how we as, you know, I was actually thinking about someone this week. Someone that it's just a friend of mine that sort of wandered away, you know what I mean, not really walking with God. And I thought to myself, man, I wonder how many times people have thought about that person and not prayed. Have you ever had somebody come to your mind? And you're just like, I wonder what that idiot's doing, right? Oh, I wonder what they're doing. You know, boy, they deserve what they, you know, they, all they're doing, you know. And God says, man, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is to actually reach out in the most loving way through prayer and say, God, you got to give them life. God, you got to restore them. God, you got to get a hold of their life so that they can enjoy rich fellowship with you again. And, and by the way, oftentimes I think, <clears throat> I often think, you know, this is kind of like prayer for those who have fallen off a cliff and broken their femurs, Right? I wonder about the prayers that would actually be a fence on the top of the cliff before they actually have to fall off. Have you ever had a person come to your mind and you just go, oh, they're doing so good. Man, they're walking with God. Man, look at how they're just shining for the Lord. And then six months later, 18 months later, you find out that they've sort of just backed away, sort of backslidden in a state of just like, you know, uh, meandering in the world. How does that happen? I I wonder if the Lord is trying to give you and I a heads up. Hey, Pray for those who are actually doing well also. Well, I don't want to waste my breath on them. They're kicking butt in Christianity, right? Man, pray for them. The Lord may be giving you a heads up to pray for those who are about to stumble and about to get sucked under by that swirling eddy of life and sin. Second thing that John tells us, he says, when you see him, pray. The second thing says, and God will hear the prayer and give them life. So here's this intercession for a person that's ongoing until you see change. And then he tells us the impact. The impact is that you pray and God answers. And God gives them life. That's why James says, know that the one who actually is a part of that process through prayer of bringing that wanderer back, you've saved a life from destruction. I can't think of anything else that you and I should be about of about when we think about those who've sort of wandered off. Man, let's pray for them. How long do you pray? He doesn't give us a time frame. It's just a continual thing. You continue to pray. We continue to ask God. You believe God in his word. Those of you that have a, a child or a grandchild that's wayward this morning, don't lose heart. Keep on praying. Amen? Because God's word tells us that you and I have the ability through that power and avenue of prayer, according to his will, which is his will to bring them back, 
He's going to answer that prayer. So you keep praying. You have a, a loved one or a friend that's wandered off. Keep asking God to intervene. This is a promise of restoration and life prolonging for them, physical life on earth, so that they might be used for his glory. He's saying God uses a believer's prayer to be part of that restoration process, and God gives life to the sinner. The Christian asks, and God gives. It's a powerful, powerful tool we have. And the answer to prayer is that they would repent of their sin. I think oftentimes we pray, Lord, like help soften the blows, you know what I mean? We kind of pray for the, um, and Chuck Smith tells a story, this old uh, pastor down in Southern California, he tells a story about this guy that would come up, you know, in the prayer meeting and said, oh, pray for me, pray for me, I'm caught in the web of sin. I'm, you know, and every weekend he would come to the prayer meeting, oh, I stumbled this week and I'm caught in the, you know, web of sin. He kept using the term web of sin, web of sin, web of sin. And then somebody said, Lord, kill the spider, right? It's like, man, like, I think that's, we, Lord, you got to kill the spider in their life. And they need to repent and find life in you again. And fellowship with you again. Instead of praying like, oh, help them to not feel this impact and help them. To, it's like, you know what, Lord, let's just get right down to business. Whatever you have to do to bring that person back, do it. Do it. That's what John is telling us. Pray for them. Pray that they will repent and get back in right relationship with God. You know, this week we have our prayer meeting. The reason why we're increasing our gatherings of prayer, we always talk about prayer. We have prayer available every Sunday morning. We pray in our services. We pray in our small groups. We're doing some corporate praying together this year, six times this year. We're going to continue to ramp that up because we are noticing that God's word talks a lot about prayer. You're like, you're just now noticing that? And that God moves in answer to prayer. We're seeing at those nights, God actually intervening and actually answering prayer. I think a great thing for us to be as a category of prayer is those who have wandered off. You don't have to put their name down. You don't have to write even any specific things. You can just say, pray for this loved one or this friend who is in or caught in sin. And man, we will, the Lord knows their name. We will pray over that card this week and we'll see God do a great work. As well as praying for those who are lost who are among us, our friends. We know that it's God's will. That, God, that, that, that those who are caught in sin, believers, would be restored to life. We also know it's God's will for those who are lost and they've never committed their life to Jesus. For them to actually be saved. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So we pray for that. We ask God to, to intervene. You know, God uses rehab. God uses counseling. God uses many things to restore and heal up a person's life. But it all begins with prayer for them. Not every sinner is given life in answer to prayer. Because John said some sin leads to death. Therefore, prayer is ineffective because it's over for them. You see that reasoning? But he says, but there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. Verse 17 is an interesting thought. He says, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Again, let us know there's hope for a person who's caught to be brought back and to be restored. But I think it's interesting that John lets us know that all wrongdoing is sin. Here's, a, here's kind of like a final thought when I was thinking about this passage this week, and it's something that really kind of struck within me. It is, is number three from this passage we learn that you and I are to not downplay sin. Yes, God is merciful, so we pray for those who are caught up in sin. But I think it's interesting that he, he says all wrongdoing is sin. It's a warning that sin should not be taken lightly. It should be of grave concern for us. 
as Christians, when we have a flippant attitude towards sin, when we ourselves are so quick to yield to it, when our friends and loved ones are so quick to yield to it, the, the smart thing to do is to repent very quickly of it. When you recognize, man, that was out of line, what I was doing, what I was thinking, what I was, uh, you know, saying. And you repent. You know, the great thing about my relationship with God is that the moment I sin, I have the opportunity in that moment to say, God, would you forgive me? What a knucklehead. I can't believe that I would be so foolish. You see, that's the hope and that's the promise of God's word. To repent, call it what it is. But if you don't, to know that sin is deceptive. And a lot of stronger people have actually fallen and succumbed to sin. Have you ever been blown away by some spiritual giant that you've known about or read about? And you just go like, what? They did what? And then just like going, hold up, man. If they're able to stumble and fall into that kind of a sin, how much more you and I? It's always shocking. Remember the disciples? Jesus said, hey, uh, um, one of you is going to betray me. And it's not like they all looked at Judas and said, ah, I knew it was you, man, that little evil goatee you've got. You know what I mean? In the, in the movies, he's always like, you know, sort of creepy Dracula guy. Everyone was shocked when it was Judas. And they're all like going, is it I, Lord? Peter's like, is it me? John's like, is it me? Judas, is it I? Heck yeah, it's you, Judas. We already know you made this plan. But even he didn't know that it was, that was what he was actually a part of, uh, you know, creating and manufacturing. The betrayal of the Son of God. You and I should be very cautious to not downplay sin. To have the thought, oh, it won't happen to me. Like Paul said, he said, be careful that you don't fall into the same temptation yourself. Why? Because our, our hearts are deceptive. Sin is deceptive. Satan is a great deceiver. And nobody I know that's ever been caught up of sin, they can look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. they say, right? But in the moment, they had no idea it was happening. To know that you and I could be so blind too, that's why we should be so quick to say, God, I need your grace, I need you to forgive me. We thank God for grace. John says when we sin, we confess it. And he says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. In chapter, chapter two of, of First John, he says, we're reminded that we have an advocate with Jesus uh, with God, Jesus, who's our advocate, who is the one who goes before us and actually pleads our case and actually absorbs the sin in our, on our behalf. But before that, in verse 1, he says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. Why? Because God wants us to have freedom. We remember that sin brings death. We remember that it hinders fellowship. It's the reason Jesus came and died. So you and I should not be flippant about it. Sin is hateful to God. It ought to be hateful to you and to me. So Christian, let me ask you something this morning. What is your attitude towards sin in your life? Paul told you and I that we should flee the evil desires of youth. Have you noticed as you get older that those evil desires never go away? You're like, oh, whew out of high school. Thank God I'm not tempted anymore. High school kids are like, what? It gets worse? <laughs> and every old person's like, yep, it does. You and I are called to flee. This would be a great warning for us this morning. To not be so flippant about sin. You know, before we pray for others who are caught, 
here's a great question for us. Are you playing around with some little pet sin in your life where you think it's not going to turn into anything bad? You know, when you go on an airplane and you don't listen to the people up front telling you if this thing goes down, right? But those people are up there for a reason because they're going to get you your peanuts and your soda and whatever you need in about 10 minutes. But they have this thing they have to do before you get to that. And they tell you, like, if that oxygen mask comes down, what do they say? First, put it on yourself before you apply it to your co-flight person or your child, right? All the parents are like going, no, first thing I'm going to do, out of oxygen, you're gone. That's why you do it, so you can help other people. I think it's, it's kind of interesting for you and I to sort of wrap up this morning with that thought. Man, first of all, Lord, is there anything that I'm dancing around? Is there anything I'm playing around? Any sin that you're flirting with? You know, the great news is, is that God already knows it. And His Holy Spirit is here working among us to bring us to that place where we go like, yeah, I don't need to drink gutter water to know that it tastes like crud. Lord, thank you for that warning shot. I'm going to repent. I'm going to back up. I'm going to move on. I'm going to flee. What's God speaking in your heart right now? What's an area of your life that you're dancing around and playing with? Fire is what the Bible would call it. Death is what James says. This little desire turns into temptation, turns into a desire. You go after it. You get enticed. It gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. I've seen too many funerals in people's lives, if you would, because they just didn't catch it. So don't downplay sin, disobedience. The second is, who are those that we could be praying for this morning? Who's a person in your life that you're still like, you know what, they're not here today. They're caught up in sin. Maybe you've had an attitude of just like judgment, critical, like why can't you just get your crap together? You know what I mean? so easy for Christians to kick others and while they're down. You could be there too. Don't ever get to that spot where you think like, I would never do exactly what they're doing. Man, you are, are so capable of going zero to destruction <laughs> on your own life. And the dangerous thought is to think that you can't. Man, instead of being critical and judgmental, man, seek God on their behalf. Weep for their condition. God, rescue them. That's what we want to see happen in their life. Pray until you see the needle moving and that phone call comes. Hey, man, you know what? I've been thinking. I need God back in my life. That's the most beautiful phone call you will ever receive, my friends. Maybe you're here this morning and we talk about this relationship that we have with God. Maybe today you need mercy. You need forgiveness. You need to begin a relationship with Him. Can I just tell you right now that, the, that what we read about earlier in chapter uh, 5 and earlier in a couple weeks back is that those who believe in the Son of God, they have life. They have eternal life. And those who don't, they do not have life. You're either a person who has the hope of heaven because you have faith in Jesus Christ or you are a person that's trying to hold on to religion and doing enough good things to cancel out your bad deeds. You're hoping that God grades on a curve. But John makes it clear. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're out of the kingdom of God. When you take your last breath on this planet, you're with God in heaven or you take your last breath on this planet and you're separated from God for all eternity. Your decision about Jesus Christ on this earth is forever cemented in eternity. You don't get to come back and have a second round. Your decision about Jesus Christ 
literally cements your eternal destiny. So maybe you're here today and saying, man, I'm ready to turn from my sin. I'm ready to believe in Jesus Christ. What do I need to do? Well, you need to surrender your heart to him. You need to ask him to come in your life and make you a new person today. You need to repent of your sin. That literally means I'm going in this direction, and today I'm actually going to turn around and go in the direction of God. I'm going to receive his mercy and his forgiveness. That's what it means to repent, to literally change direction. And I'm going to believe that Jesus, as the Son of God, is going to come into my life and become my Savior and my Lord.